Ramsey, you can go. You can go ahead and call in right now, Ramsey. This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. Okay. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain He's material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on so this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile house plants, and liberal <laughs> relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Remind me not to. He, uh, he uh, hopefully won't have a show on, so I don't think he will. I wonder if we can he doesn't know how to do that. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melon Law Studio. Protected 365 24-7 by Crime Prevention. And sponsored by a whole bunch of great sponsors we'll feature at the bottom of the hour. And, uh, of course, the donors who help us out from time to time is much appreciated. Well, I've got an exciting guest for you coming on the show in a minute by phone. Uh, many of you know my guest, have uh, a long um, appreciation for having him uh, with the Ward Scott Files. Once upon a time, we had a regular commitment with each other when we were on the radio. And from time to time, we've been fortunate enough to have my guest will be calling in in a moment, um, hopefully, and everything will go smoothly uh, on the show. This time, we're going to just communicate by phone so you won't see him. Uh, but is none other than Ramsey Samurai, who is uh, foreign, uh, a, a former U.S. Department state official in charge of nuclear non-proliferation for President Bush. And I've I checked in with him this morning to see if he was available, hoping that he was, to talk with us when we uh, link up with him in a little bit um, about classified documents, because there's nobody I know of who knows more about classified documents than uh, Ramsey Samurai. Um, Ramsey knows his way around D.C. and that world extremely well. And uh, there's a lot of confusion about what a classified document is, uh, when you can classify, um, you know, what's classified, what is classified all the above. So as soon as we connect up with him, uh, we'll splice him right in. Um, meanwhile, uh, I want to thank the sponsor of Style Cuts as the official uh, hair. Okay, Hello. I'm here with you. Ramsey, can you hear me, sir? Yep. Good. Great to have you. I just gave you a great preliminary. I hope your ears aren't burning. Um, uh, they are. And, uh, <laughs> I'm a little worried about that. Yeah, you've got a lot to live up to now, my man. Uh, talking about how great you are and how everybody sits on the edge of their chair when they know you're coming. And we sort of surprised them today. So uh, don't be, you know, don't be uh, amazed if Plantation Mark isn't flipping out at your own the air and some other people. But uh, thanks for coming on at the last minute. I really appreciate this. And uh, we're doing it this way for you because it's very easy for you to do. You don't have to uh, come into the studio or get on a Zoom and uh, we can just talk freely and openly on the phone. And uh, I was just giving a preliminary about your expertise, uh, rather generally, of course, around the, the world of Washington, D.C. I know of no one who knows the world any more uh, intimately and is more familiar with it than you. And well, the reason my audience, audience the reason I contacted him is because classified documents is what I was talking about before you patched in, Ramsey. Now, first of all, I was asking you, if you will let me, what is a classified document? Who classifies it and what gets classified? Well, uh, everything.
every federal agency, I, I would imagine, has the ability to classify documents because every the higher up you go in a in an executive department, even if it's something like the Department of Interior, you know, what could possibly be classified at the Department of Interior? Well, there may be facilities in, you know, Yellowstone Park that do classified things. So the Interior Department would know about that and then would classify knowledge of such facilities. So you really don't know where the classifications are, are uh, coming from, but every, every executive department has the ability to, to classify whatever's going on within their, within their department. So I guess classification is executive, and that includes the president and the cabinet and all the departments that are involved. And then, of course, the intelligence agencies, they obviously classify things. And then uh, contractors like uh, Raytheon or Hewlett Packard or something, they're working on a government contract. So corporations have government classifications as well. Did that answer that? Well, yes and no. It seems like the classification that is uh, gone unnoticed, uh, therefore, from my take away from what you just said, there's a whole lot of agency classified, but they don't make the news. And what's made the news here, for better or worse, as, you, we, as we know what the news is, is, first of all, the raid on Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lago for quote-unquote classified documents. Um, talk to me just about what presidents can classify, and can't they classify them on their own? It, yes, a president could classify your middle name. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's unlimited what a president can classify. If 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 he if he writes a, a a tic-tac-toe game on the back of a menu, he could just write PSSCI across the top, hand it to his his aides, and that would get put in the classifications. So it, it could be as it could be as ridiculous as that. But yeah, presidents classify that. That's what when I said it's executive, what I mean was president, and then through his authority. The, the executive departments like state, defense, interior, homeland security, all that, they then, uh, through his authority, can classify documents. And, and millions of documents are classified without the president's personal knowledge. So when they raid Bush to get classified documents, is that a political move? When they raided what? When they raided, I mean, when they raided, uh, uh, I'm sorry, when they raided Trump, uh, and his, is that a political move, just purely a kind of dramatic? Uh, well, well I, I mean, obviously it, it is. It's never been done before. Uh, the president of the United States has, has the right to uh, declassify and classify. That that's a better answer to your first question there is uh, the, the president can declassify documents, which is a far greater power than to classify and um, uh, for them, for them to have gone on a raid at Mara Largo, the 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 telltale sign that it was political was they already knew what was there. They in fact told the president Trump to put a lock. And by the way, the law allows the the, the investigator to even specify 
exactly where and exactly what kind of lock to put on. It's that detailed. So they were there. They saw what he had. And they said, put a lock on that door. They could have taken the documents right then and there. They could have said, sir, you can't have these here. Um, bad on you. We, we need to take these with us. Now, when you, when you talk about presidential papers, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of documents. And by a, a document could be 100 pages long. So it's millions of pages. So to sit there, look at what the president had, don't put a lock on the door, go away, wait a while, and then come back and argue that it's of supreme national security and raid the place and take the documents from behind the locked door that they were at already. It's clearly political. You know, this is the first time I've heard the locked door, Ramsey. Of course, I uh, consult you because that's the thing that you would know. Why doesn't the press bring that? Well, we know why. It's political and the press is conducive, deadly with the political narrative. But uh, um, this doesn't even come out that they've been there already. They knew what was there and said, keep that under lock and key. Here's a lock and then go away and then come back and make a big dramatic raid. I mean, uh, this is what's unprecedented. Have I got that right, Ramsey? Yeah, it, it's unprecedented. What's unprecedented is, is uh, the, um, the raid. What's not unprecedented is someone got the national archives going to a former president's home and saying, sir, you got a bunch of crap here you shouldn't have, and taking it away. Okay, let's have that conversation about Obama. Obama apparently has thousands of documents that he said he was going to return and has yet to return, although the National Archives asked for them. They went there, they saw them, they said, "Uh uh-uh, can't have this stuff, and yet they remain at at Obama's presidential library. No one's gone back and get them. No one's let a raid. So theoretically or practically or realistically, however I want to say it, um, those documents which Obama has are every bit as um, classifiable, if that's a word, as those that Trump had, which we had this um, staged drama to retrieve, which we have had no drama or even any retrieval of of Obama. Um, That's an interesting. We don't we don't really. Obama could just wave his hand and say, yeah, all, all those I unclassified. And um, uh, just get away with it. I mean, Donald Trump, he could just simply say, all those all those documents I had, I unclassified. He doesn't have to sign a, a paper. He doesn't, All he has to do is simply say, do, do you remember the time I related to you my shock when in the, like the first month of Obama's presidency, he stood at a podium and said there were 7,393 uh, nuclear missiles in the American uh, arsenal. And I almost died of shock because for five years I had held that number secret. I knew that number. I had Q clearance. <laughs> you know, I, Ramsey, I, Ramsey. I, was, I, was an, I would have been thrown in jail for saying that number. Ramsey, I've never president, forgotten, I've never forgotten that. that. I've never forgotten that. Yeah. That's one of the most profound things of all the profound things you have uh, privy to, that you were just simply watching a public show and Obama spill the beans about something which would have got you thrown in the political jug, right? I would, I would still be in jail. 
because let the yes, listeners yes. know that you were in charge of nuclear nonproliferation for President Bush. And I know you well, always charge, but I work. You work for it, right? I mean, yeah, you were yeah, privy. I, yeah, my 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 clearance. You know, I don't know if the, the audience knows exactly. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of ex-military out there, but it's it's uh, unclassified uh, clearance, secret, top secret, and within top secret, there's a variation of it called SDI, secure compartmentalized information. That's specific information. And then even after that, there's uh, like I had, uh, it's, it's common knowledge. The Department of Energy gives out a Q clearance, which is basically nuclear. And uh, then after that, there's all sorts of human intel and keyhole and gamma and all this other stuff that you can find on open source. It's kind of hard to find, but it, it's definitely out there. I think Wikipedia actually has a list of all the clearances. And... Um, uh, all all those all those clearances. I mean, there's one that it's not higher, but it's harder to get. It's uh, uh, special access programs, and that, that's they're basically called dark programs, uh, you know, in the spy movies. So yeah, there's there's all these clearances out there, and you can get in trouble for spilling the least of the beans. You know, I, I made it an absolute practice. When, when I worked at state and I had to go and look at top secret documents and stuff, I never took the documents into my office. I never went outside of the skiff with them. If, if it was a thousand page document, I stayed there and went through it and never took the document out of the room. I, I was so paranoid about just, you know, people would come to my office and give me a red jacket and that's a top secret document because there's a red jacket around it and it says top secret right on the top. It's very spy. And um, uh, if someone walked in the room, you had to take that and just close it, either turn it upside down or throw it in a drawer. Now, it, it was that sensitive. So, yeah, Obama stood there and just – and what was, what was uh, startling about that was his ignorance of why that number was top secret. Because you think about it, you – does it matter if the Russians know if you have six or eight or 9,000 nukes? Not really, right? But if they know the exact number, you can then say, all right, we know they have you know, 200 silos. So there's that many nukes. We know they have this number of planes that can carry a nuclear payload. Okay, that's that many of them. And they, and they can extrapolate where your nukes are. That was the problem with, with revealing that number. So, anyway. Nobody ever called him out on that. It's just amazing. Uh, simply amazing. Uh, I wonder why he would do well, that. Because he's an arrogant jerk. Oh, look what I found out. I can, I can recite a number. I bet he didn't even know that number was top secret. I wouldn't doubt it. Now, I've read where Trump says a president could classify or declassify with his mind. What's yes, there's no, yeah. there's, um, there's no requirement. The, the president is the ultimate arbitrator on what's classified and not classified. So why are they trying to challenge that in some sort of court? They'll never go anywhere with that, will they? No, it's over now. I mean, uh, between Obama's example of, of 
of his library being full of classified documents and Biden's new revelation, especially the timing of it, uh, uh, the Department of Justice is going to be very hard pressed to, especially with a Republican Congress now, House. There will, I am perfectly willing to predict right now that there will be no no uh, further action on it. Just a lot of, you know, leaks and threats and innuendos. I'm sure that's going to continue until the day Donald Trump dies. But um, uh, I, I don't see how they can come up against them anymore whatsoever especially under the conditions that they came up against them because he was already in full co- cooperation mode. It was very few documents. And, you know, this, this um, breathless, oh, oh, there were nuclear codes on his desk. Well, first of all, the nuclear codes change every 48 hours. Okay. So, you know, those codes are long gone. All right. And secondly, it wasn't nuclear codes. It was Q clearance. Okay, and it might have had something to do with 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 uh, they they brought you know, you know a, a navy sub is in is in port being uh, uh, you know fixed or something. It's, it's new yeah. plate, so it could be as mundane as 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 the maintenance of the nuclear reactor on a submarine. Well, it's another one of these exclamatory. Uh, burdens we have to struggle under by the press being so dramatic and uh, hyperbolic. Say it for me, Ramsey. Uh, hyperbole. Uh, I want to make an adjective out of it. No, anyway. I would call it long. They're no, either what? stupid as hell, the, <laughs> the, the, the press, because they don't know what the hell they're talking about, or they are purposely misleading the, the, the media. And I I'm going to go ahead and say that they purposely missed the the media through their willful ignorance. They had they they they. I mean, when you called me up this morning about what 15 minutes ago, and you said hey, you want to be on the on the air and, and talk and stuff. Yeah. Um, I went back into my files and refreshed my memory about what was going on and what happened and the different levels and stuff because you know I don't sit around and think about this stuff all day. It's not my job anymore. Good and, for you. Um, and I mean, if, if a if a media person actually sat down and looked at what the the affidavit said, you know, for for the uh, the uh, search warrant, because for a search warrant you need affidavits, right? And someone had someone had to have compelling evidence, or, or there had to have been there had to have been some uh, necessary need. The judge had to and sign that, off on right? Yeah. Yeah, the judge had to say, all right, where's your evidence? And it was okay. like, look at that and go, yeah, that's compelling. Well, the judge is full of crap because the, the compelling evidence was, well, we have actual photocopies of what he has. Well, then why didn't you just take them then and there, you numb nut? You, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's the first question you need to ask. And so for a judge to sign off on this was clearly political. And the judge probably probably should have said bailiff arrest this jackass. He's 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 in possession of, of top secret documents he's not supposed to have. You know, that probably would have been the proper course of action. Well, what have they done with this Biden thing? Same dramatic overreaction and over under whatever valid have you well, followed that at all? Joy Behart Joy Behart summed it up the best yesterday. 
he said, no, 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 no. It's not the same. It's not the same. That's not true. It's not the same. She went on and, and she believes through the power of her mind that she can convince the audience listening, what, all 100,000 people out of a 300 million nation, that if she says it's not the same enough times in a row and screams it over anybody trying to disagree with her, that we'll all become convinced like she is. When she finally realized that that tactic wasn't going to work, she then said, well, I can tell you why it's different. And everybody was like, okay, maybe some real journalism's about to fall out of her head. And she said, Donald Trump's a big fat liar and <laughs> Biden isn't. <laughs> and that was her evidence. It's like, go to court with that, you dumb bitch. You know, it, it's like, are you kidding me? That's your argument? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe I was like, every time I think that that woman says something stupid, she says something stupider. And <laughs> it's just, oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, we've got a but chat anyway, line. We've got a chat line comment here. What, and of course, you and I don't have the answer to this. And Alester uh, 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 is saying, how do we get balanced for responsible coverage back in the media? If Ramsey and I knew that, <laughs> we're trying to do it right here on this show. But, um you know, <laughs> we're just putting a note in the bottle and putting it out and hoping it bounces off an island we can't even see somewhere. Oh, God. I have an answer. You have an I answer? I have an answer to that. Good. Yes. Okay. The, the re, the, how you get balanced coverage back is we do what the Chinese and the Democrat Party does. And we go up to Paris Hilton and we give her a million dollars to say whatever crap we want her to say. We give Joey Behar a million dollars to be our shill. And we, and we give Hollywood, every single one of those little people on, 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 the, uh, on, on the red carpet, we just hand them a $100,000 a stack of cash as they walk up and say, say something nice about the Republican Party. And they'll flip like a, like a pancake and start saying nice things. That's all we have to do is bribe these jackasses to become real Americans again. <laughs> well said by Ramsey Samurai, my guest today calling in in case you're just stopping by and wondering who this guy is. It's Remy Samurai, who has been a longtime friend and consultant and all the above breakfast companion and uh, former mayor of Micanope, if you can believe that. Uh, production was asking me today before we uh, had the conversation with him. Well, who is he? What does he do? And I had to say, well, he's done a lot of different things, but only some things we can talk about, and I know we uh, we have a funny story. We probably shouldn't tell it. The kind of Lisa Rice story about you and the duck uh, pond. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not an over the air story. No, we can't tell that story. But uh, uh, believe me, when Ramsey speaks, uh, if you ever heard, uh, if you're old enough to remember the image of the dog in front of the Victrola listening to its master's voice and wondering what it was. Uh, that's the way it is with Ramsey when he speaks. Uh, people all over the D.C. area know it somehow, some way, almost instantly, and wait for him to say something classified. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like, you're not going to get me anything classified. Um, you, you know, when, when I worked for the party, uh, the RPOF here in Florida, um, for on the Bush Cheney 2000 campaign, I was head field director, and uh, one of the I had 12 people under me, and I, one of the things that I, I I impressed upon everyone, that my boss impressed upon me, the chairman of the party, was 
this isn't about you. Stay out of the media. Okay. You're here to work, not go talk to the media. And if the media talks to you, blow them off. It's really simple. Not saying something is very simple. And uh, at the end of the campaign, I was the only person that was that did not get into a pa- into the paper with a direct quote. Uh, the media was always there when I was standing there talking to officials or at the recounts or whatever, and they quoted me at my job, but they never ever got me to give them a comment. And then I, I went to state, and for five years, you can you can look it up. There's a five year blank in my history. I never <laughs> once uttered a word. <laughs> and uh, people, people, people knew I could keep my mouth shut. And, yeah. you know, and, and that's not what we're seeing with the Democrats. I mean, you got that. What's his name? Stalwell, Swalwell, whatever his name is. The one boinking the Chinese spy. Yeah. 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 You remember that guy? Yeah. You know, he yeah. got thrown off. His... This guy could not get clearance if he applied to the State Department. Okay, and yet he sat on the intelligence committee while having sex with a Chinese spy. Uh, I think her name was like Bang Bang or something. It was uh-huh. like, I guess it rhymes with Bang Bang. Oh so. man! Well, Trump has said that no doubt China has seen these documents that they've just discovered Biden's got. What what is going on with that comment? Do you know or can well, you speculate? Trump doesn't know. Trump Trump. Trump is he, he is just such the average American that that's the kind of crap I would throw out. You know, <laughs> 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 you know, it's like, yeah, I know the Chinese, you know, nobody knows anything. But given their history and given what those documents are about China, about Ukraine, these are the places that they have. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 investment. OK, I I. I I imagine we could we could legitimately call them bribes upon conviction, but um, <laughs> but they're, they're, they, they, we know the Biden family has interests in Ukraine, as evidenced by Biden bragging on tape that he had the uh, the the uh, I guess sort of like the prosecutor of Ukraine, right, right for right. investigating son. And re- remember, Donald Trump was on the phone with the Ukrainians and got impeached for that. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And Biden was on camera talking about how he managed to get his son off the hook and not a word. (laughs) I I mean, think think about that. It was just, if you wonder why Donald Trump says whatever comes to his mind, because he knows it doesn't matter. He could actually he could actually become a sock puppet for Jesus Christ himself and start uttering the, the cure to cancer <laughs> and people could condemn him for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. How, I mean, he doesn't care what he says anymore because it doesn't matter what he says. <laughs> oh, boy. What a <laughs> it is in a, in a way. It's high comedy. It really has to be it's the only way you can deal with it. Uh, otherwise. I, I think that's how Trump sees. It. I think Trump sees it as as just this giant kabuki act with with uh, comedic overtones, and he's willing to play. <laughs> you know, 
I don't know why that man hasn't stepped stepped outside the gates of Mar a Lago and shot all the tour uh, all, all the uh, the reporters standing there twenty four seven. I don't understand why he hasn't. You know, he 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 should at least open a sewer line outside his his property to keep his people away. Wow, it's it's unbelievable the behavior they they have towards him. Oh, oh yeah. We've traced it through, as you know, from the moment he came down the escalator, they were after him, and even before. You know, it's uh, they were not, do, you, do you see any parallels while I got you? You're such a, 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 you know, a thoughtful person about so many things going on. Now they're trying, in the press anyway, and, you, and I think this is really uh, kind of insidious what they're doing. Blame the Brazilian attack other popular people, if you will, on their institutions, on really Trump. Have you caught that connection, Ramsey? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, here's, here's what was weird about my take on that. I, at that exact moment, happened to be working on a uh, kind of an econ- a geopolitical socioeconomic comparison between investment opportunities in South America and Africa. Okay. And great the United States has, what's that? That's a great subject. I'm listening all ears. Okay. And the United States and, you know, different States have opportunities to build economic bridges and financial relationships between maybe Ethiopia and uh, Savannah and maybe New Orleans and, I don't know, Mexico. All right. These are important questions for local governments, believe it or not. So my analysis was we've probably seen peak investments in South America which is only marginally richer than Africa. The, the GDP of, um, of uh, Africa is actually higher than South America, but the, no, the GNP of, South, uh, of Africa is higher than South America, but South America has a higher GDP. So, Explain the difference, please, for our you have to, Well, uh, the GNP is gross national product. Right. So Africa collectively as nations, has more production. It's a bigger count, uh, continent. There's more people, and it has more resources. So that makes sense. But the richer continent is South America. But I argued the investment opportunity that for growth, I mean, like, for example, if you say, I want to, here, here's a billion dollars. I'm a billionaire, and I want to invest a billion dollars in emerging in emerging uh, uh, technologies or commodities or something, you just want to invest your billion dollars. Would you invest it in a place that is so saturated with investments that returns are three to 5% or go to a continent where it's wild west wide open and your returns could be 20 or 30%. Well, you'd go to that one. That's Africa. Africa is wide open. It's a commodities-based continent, and what it really needs is manufacturing, production, and consumption. And 
if you look at a map, Africa is in the middle of it all. There's Asia on one side and Europe on one side. And if you just cross a short space on the Atlantic Ocean, you bump directly into the, the United States. South America is the most ice. And believe it or not, this includes Australia. South America is really the most economically isolated continent in the world. They're pretty much off every shipping lane you can think of and travel lane, air lanes and stuff like that. So I was doing this comparison for, for someone. And um, I said, in the final paragraph, I, I made the argument, go with Africa. South America has the potential for self-destructing. Just stay tuned and keep breathing. Something terrible is going to happen in South America within the year. It's just that the unstable. And literally, as I'm writing this, the, the Brazilians decide to, like, throw their Supreme Court chairs out the window. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, boy. So uh, let me tell you, my 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 stuff don't sink now that that you know that happened because they were like, "How'd you call that?" <laughs> like, well, I called down to Brasilia and said, "Hey, could you could you cause a commotion? I need to look good up here." <laughs> well, they're trying but, to say, but that. yeah, there's yeah. there's uh, so so you're, in answer to your question, um, you. You can't blame the overthrow of the Tsar of Russia on the Kaiser of Germany. Okay? That is an apt historical parallel. It, it, when, when World War I was over, right, we lost, what, three emperors? Now, the, the Sultan of, of the Ottoman Empire disappeared. The Kaiser abdicated and was pretty much arrested and hauled away. And the Tsar was assassinated. Okay. What do the elites miss about that occurrence? Okay. They, it, a bunch of people in Washington, as far as I can tell from the, the tapes, were invited into the Capitol. They walked around and one window was smashed and one person was killed. It was not a riot exactly, but it was kind of a, a swarming, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't a revolt, and it wasn't a threat to our democracy. And when they say our democracy, they mean our authoritarian control over you. Right. And Brazil is in much worse economic shape. They just elected a guy by the narrowest of margins to make the economy worse. He's a socialist. He's going to screw things up. Everything socialists touch turns to crap. Okay? And if you, if you notice socialism, socialism only arises when there's enough to steal. Right? Ah, only arises when there's enough to steal? Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, think, think about it. Why, why is, why, I know they love to call themselves socialists in, in uh, Africa, but the Congo, why is the Congo a, a semi-socialist state? Well, they got copper there, and the guy stealing all the copper is a socialist. Yeah, they, they, only, they only show up when, when, when capitalism has built enough for the socialists to steal. They're, gotcha. they're like, they're like, you know, What's that? 
I got you. I'm following you. you I'm right with you. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's their economic uh, system. Their system is to agitate people. When, when, you, when you get a rich nation, you're going to have vast disparities, correct? Okay. In, in a poor nation, the disparities are very compact. You have a guy making a dollar a day as opposed to a guy making $5 a day, but the guy making $5 a day might have electricity. Okay. The disparity between the dollar a day and the $5, even though he's five times richer, isn't that great. They still wear crappy clothes. They still eat crappy food. And the only difference is, is the guy might live in a slightly safer neighborhood and he might have slightly cleaner water. But you live in America where you have to step over homeless people in San Francisco, you know, before you, you break your, you know, your Gucci shoes or whatever it is you're wearing. So the disparity between the lady stepping over the poor, the, the, the homeless guy is a million times. And that's where you can wedge the society and say, Hey, look at this guy and look at how rich she is. Why is that? You know, it's capitalism that did that. So let's steal all the money between the two of them and basically give it away. And of course the, the voters go like, yeah, we want free crap. And they vote for these idiots, which of course, once they're in power, they do the stealing. And the homeless guy never, and the homeless guy never gets it. (laughs) Never. No, you continue to step over him until he's dead. In which yeah. case, they'll just roll into the curb. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, you, you got to make room for the, the new homeless guy, right? Right. And, and homelessness is caused by either extreme poverty or mental illness. It, 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 you, it is rare to find a really down-on-my-luck guy in America. It, it is. I mean, given all the homeless people, the percentage of them willfully living on the streets is extremely small. There are some people just just are hobos. You know, you're not going to do much about that. You know, they got their guitar and their pot and they're happy. You know, it's like, yay, go live out in the woods. And then you have the mentally ill and they don't know what the hell they're doing because they're mentally ill. And it's where's the compassion, you know, it, and the, the, instead of having the conversation about what are we going to do as, a, as a, a humane Christian nation for these people? The socialists politicize it because, you know, of course, there's no God in socialism. So the, the, the solution can't be Christian charity. It's got to be government intervention. So, yeah, I mean, when, when you look at that, that's what happens in South America every 10, 15, 20 years. They at some point, elect a right, uh, an extremist right winger, you know, as described, you know, which is really in South America, a socialist light. Okay. And that guy works two, three, four terms and brings the economy back. Um, Venezuela comes to mind. And then these disparities show up. And some demagogue comes in, steps in and goes, oh, look at the unfairness of this system. There's still poor people. How can this be? Capitalism has failed. Let's go back to socialism. Let's steal all those rich people's crap. Well, the rich people have enough money to put it all in a bag and leave. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but 
a couple of the largest restaurants in Gainesville, Alachua area, are run by Venezuelan refugees. Right, right. You right. know, a, a, a couple large apartment uh, concerns in in Alachua County are owned by some other Venezuelans. There's some Colombians that left the cartel wars in Alachua County. They well, just put all their money in a bag. Ramsey, you've worked on uh, on ranches, I know, and came from that, that world. And there is one of the, uh, re, you know, really most remarkable cattle ranch here in Alachua County, um, Red Angus. And it is completely transferred from Venezuela to here. And it's run by the Venezuelans. Uh, it's a fantastic operation. And that's a good case in point. You know, it's it's uh, they just up and pulled all of their resources and intelligence and skill out of there and came here. And it's a, it's so a, let's let's unpack that though. What happens when this super rich guy decides to he has got enough money to come to Alachua County, buy a bunch of land, and start his operations all over again, right? So what happened? In, what happened in Venezuela? Well, the ranch hands lost their jobs. The land is lying fallow. It's not paying taxes. No one has income from the, the land. No one has taxes from the land. No one's having any production from the land. Okay? So how did that solve anything? It didn't, in fact, made the situation worse. So that's what happened in Brazil. They, they decided that uh, the good life was getting too easy, so we better bring these uh, socialists back so that they can screw things up again. And that's why people are rioting, because I think the people in Brazil are beginning to understand it. So getting back to Kaiser Wilhelm and Tsar Nicholas and the Ottoman Sultan, where are they now? Oh, they're all dead. They were all uh, overthrown. So to blame Donald Trump, who is a symptom of what's going on in America, for the invasion and destruction of the capital of Brazil, which is going on because of conditions down there, is ignoring what's going to happen next in Caracas, which is going to happen next in Havana, which is going to happen next in Rome, which is going to happen next in Berlin, Paris, London, and Moscow, and believe it or not, Beijing, very few countries are going to be exempt from the coming storm that these global elitists have unleashed on themselves. And I would, I would recommend to them that they go and take a very close look at what led to World War I. Well, that's a fascinating subject. We're going to have to really get in depth talk about sometime, Ramsey. You know, while I got you, and we've gone past our break, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get in a break towards the end of the hour because when I first asked Ramsey to come on, he said, well... I can come on for a few minutes. Well, you see what a few minutes is when you're talking with him. Inexhaustible uh, uh, intelligence on all sorts of matters. Uh, Ramsey, we haven't talked for quite a while about Russia and uh, this thing going on with Ukraine. While I got you, I want to get your mind on that, if you would, sir. You, Because you, we talked about this, you and I, on the show quite a while back. And we haven't talked about it since. Anything you want to chat with me about for a few minutes on that well i had i had coffee 
uh, yesterday with a really super smart lady. And um, uh, she asked me that exact same question. And I gave her a 45-minute answer. But in a nutshell, it's not about oil, although it is. It's not about politics, although it is. It's not about NATO, although it is. And when you get done talking about all the stuff that occurred to bring us to this point, you could write a book on all the catastrophic mistakes that were made on both sides that led to this war. Putin was forced into this war. But Putin, along the way, made enormous numbers of catastrophic mistakes. I mean, like, for example, seizing the Crimea. Okay. That, that indicated to everybody on the NATO side, that, you know, on the West side, that wasn't in NATO. Crap, we better join NATO. And that caused Putin to go, uh-oh, NATO's going to be on my doorstep again. And that caused the, the NATO, the West, to go, we better get these people into NATO. And that caused Putin on and on and on and on. And by the time it was over, everyone was convinced that their national security was indeed about to, to, to just get destroyed. And, you know, crap, here come the Russians again. It, which, quite frankly, none of that was true. I mean, we can see by Russia's performance in this war that they're not ready for the big time. I mean, Russia is what? seven, eight times bigger population-wise and, and economic-wise than Ukraine? I mean, this, this should have been over three, four days later. I mean, you, you, want, a, you want a good indication of, of a, asymmetrical warfare, take a look at the United States in, in uh, Gulf, what was it, uh, Gulf Storm, where we conquered the 14th, 14th largest army in under 100 days. Yeah, that's, that's oh, oh, by the way, Desert Storm, yeah. Desert Storm, oh, by yeah. the way, that was several thousand miles away. I mean, the, the world the world caught its breath when when George Bush threw an American army halfway across the world and conquered a nation in in under a hundred days. Uh, I mean, it, that that's just a technological and economic and military marvel. I mean, you just have to understand it. how the hell did he do that? And here's Russia on the border with Ukraine, and they and they're, they're tripping over the borderline. It, it's it's uh, it's clear that nobody in Europe or Russia, and maybe China, is ready for any war. Which, of course, if you look at the beginning of World War One, same thing. If you look at the beginning of World War Two, Germany was ready for a war. But it couldn't have been that ready because it got stopped and pushed back. And they had tr after France, they had trouble making advances almost anywhere. And then, of course, you know, Hitler thought, hey, you know, Russia's a good thing to go up in the second front. Uh, that was just the dumbest movie ever made. So w what are we looking at here right now? You know, what led to the Ukrainian war? It was just, I don't know, we didn't get a duke assassinated, but... Something went horribly wrong. And one of the things, one of the things was Donald Trump forgot. Donald Trump made one of the huge errors. Uh, he went to Poland and said, "Hey, Germany, if you're not going to pay your bills, we'll put we'll put our armies and our bases and our missiles in Poland." And Poland was like, "Damn right, bring them over." Well, Russia 
heard that. And we had a tactic agreement with, with the Russians that there would be no NATO on their doorstep. We would, we would stop expanding. Ukraine would be sort of a, a no man's land, kind of a gray area. And if Russia left uh, Ukraine alone, NATO would leave Ukraine alone. And then Bush went and stepped in it, and he was making the financial responsibility argument. He wasn't really saying. You, mean, you mean Trump? Russia. You mean Trump? You mean Trump? Yeah, Trump. Yeah, <laughs> Trump was making the, the argument that he was always making: Germany, pay your damn bill. <clears throat> you freeloading, you know? Germany hasn't hasn't bought a bullet for its army in seventy years, and then they don't pay us for them. So. Trump was making that argument. Well, the Russians didn't hear that argument. They don't care what the balance sheet is in NATO. They heard, let's put missiles in Poland. And so Russia was like, fine, let's put an army in Ukraine. That's what led to the war. I mean, in a nutshell, it was far more complicated and far more catastrophic than that. But in a nutshell, I mean, Germany, in addition to not paying its bills, became dependent on Russian gas. Russia, not thinking that, that Germany could be peeled away so easily, was enjoying all the Deutschmarks coming into Moscow and thought German dependence takes them off the chessboard. These are catastrophic errors of judgment. And it, there's no one answer to it, but you could sit down and write a thousand-page book and explore each decision and come up to the conclusion that I can give you now for free and you don't have to read a thousand pages. It was a, it was a 20 year series of catastrophic decisions. And, uh, quite frankly, the most catastrophic of them was Russia invading Ukraine because they weren't ready and Ukrainians are dead. So, you know, congratulations, everyone. Excellent analysis. One last, um, comment question, Afghanistan and our, Military equipment left in the desert. What do you make of that, Ramsey? I would like to know who got the money for that. I mean, put it this way. If you look at your equipment that's sitting in the Afghan desert or in Kabul, who knows where it was? It was everywhere. Okay. And you look at your forts and you look at your, uh, um, airfields that we've all built with American tax dollars, okay? And you look at all the bridges and you look at all the roads and you're going to say, all right, we are going to leave Afghanistan in, in an ill-conceived way. Let's go. One way to do it is just get on planes, leave all your friends and equipment behind and come home like a, like a, a little bitch that Biden was and do it that way. The other way to do it would be to blow up your bases, collapse your forts, blow up the bridges that lead to these bases and forts, destroy your airfield, and if the equipment you don't want to airlift back out of there, throw a, a, a thermite grenade in the middle of each one and leave them nothing but a bunch of rusted, hulking steel. That's the way to leave equipment. There is a choice here. And to just get up and leave and abandon your friends 
who now are identified because they broke into the fort and got your classified documents, right? They didn't even take those. What, 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 would, what would cause someone to do that? Anyway, the, the only, the only, there's only two answers. One is amazing neglect, which you should be impeached and re- removed from office for. Amazing neglect. Just astounding bad judgment. Which, considering all the people involved, I doubt that was it. The other one is, did someone get paid off to do that? Who got what for that? You, know, you got to ask, why would, why would you leave behind a fort and not blow it up? Well, think about that. Why would you leave behind uh, you know, 50 armored personnel carrier in a row in a parking lot somewhere and not destroy them? Then, of course, you know, the Chinese swept in. You know, Afghanistan shares a border with China. No, nobody really knows that, but they do. A little tiny piece up there. And the Chinese swept in. They, you know, they pulled all the uh, electronics out. And they're like, oh, okay, here's all this really cool proprietary stuff. Let's just go ahead and, and rep, you know, the Chinese are the board. They, 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 they don't invent a damn thing. They just come and steal it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happened. I mean, who, who got what? What advantage did someone gain for allowing the Afghan Taliban and the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians access to our technology and our secrets? Who? I mean, it's just like Benghazi. What the hell was that about? Who got what for letting Benghazi happen? Because that could have been stopped in 10 seconds. The planes from Italy were on their way. Yeah, yeah, sure. People have forgotten that. Absolutely. Yeah, they were turned around by, uh, by I guess, Hillary. Oh, boy. So, oh, I mean, who are these people? I mean, is there really treason occurring? I mean, it's, it, it's a good enough question. I mean, and, and if I'm wrong, feel free to dispute it. You know, it's a free country still, sort of. So, you, you know, if I'm saying something that's really outrageous, Point it out. And don't just say, well, you know, Trump's a, a, a big fat liar, therefore you're wrong. Like, no, that's, that's not an answer. You know, why was this, why did this, what is the compelling reason to just disappear from Afghanistan and leave everything behind for our enemies to take? Because well, it's a great in, question. In a war, where, in a war where, where your opponent gets all the booty, that means you lost. Yeah, and didn't pay for we it. Then not pay a nickel for it. Well, Ramsey, you know we're going to have well, to actually we're actually going to have to take time out and do our bottom of the hour break to conclude our show to pay our sponsors. One of which is Lewis Oil, of course, which uh, sponsors our halftime break. So we're going to move out with that. And I really have enjoyed talking with you. We got to do it a little more often. Hopefully, this is a convenient way for you to do it. Uh, and uh, it's uh, very exciting to hear uh, your mind work on these things. And I'm sure. Uh, many people who listen to the Ward Scott Files have missed you because they ask me all the time, when's Ramsey going to be on? When Ramsey going to be on? So uh, we'll spread this around and we'll try to get you back. But uh, uh, I have to go uh, acknowledge the people who help us pay for the show. So um, thanks so much, sir. I'll be talking to you. And uh, 
we're going to terminate the call in order to get uh, our, our ads in and, and, and uh, acknowledge the people who help us. So uh, we're talking with Ramsey Summerall. Well, Pardon me? I haven't put on my tinfoil hat so early in the morning for a long time. So <laughs> we'll, we'll find and get it on you again a little more frequently. Thank you so much, Ramsey. Uh, production, let's take okay. off. Now. Thank you, sir. Let's take off now and do our Bye. break at the end of the show here. And uh, I'll do the weather and we'll we'll conclude that way. If that's OK, is that all right, production? Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil Divers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner. On the right side of the page, or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We had an unusual dynamic guest today, so we slid right past our bottom-of-the-hour break. We just couldn't stop our conversation. It was so engaging with Ramsey Samurai. Uh, former State Department official for President Bush in charge of nuclear nonproliferation. Uh, just got to tell you, it's going to be a nice day here outside the, uh, the Warthog Command Center. California is still getting dumped on with rain. That's the big story in weather in this country right now. And so uh, we are fortunate not be uh, getting a, a, a constant barrage of what our 
side of the country would be hurricanes. Uh, they have picked up over 12 inches of rain in San Francisco from December 26th through January 9th. It's the city's wettest 15-day stretch in 156 years. Thanks for watching the Ward Scott Files, and have a great day. Ward Hall Command Center out.